Good morning, everybody. We're jumping right in today. The band's going to be back up in a little bit to, to close us out with a time of worship. But um, if we haven't met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. Good to see everybody out. Everybody made it safely? Of course, if you're here, you made it safely. Maybe there's some people who are on their way who did not make it safely, but... We'll say a prayer for them at the end of the day. Uh, so uh, we're jumping back in. This is week three of a series in First and Second Peter that we're doing as a church together. And, and uh, beginning next week, Peter starts to get into the really practical aspects of living out our faith here in a difficult world, in a difficult society. And, um, but today is the last kind of setup passage before we get to that stuff. He's been laying the foundation. We talked about how... Uh, just the, the power and value of the gift of salvation, right? The salvation of your souls. You, you have the ability to experience the forgiveness of sins. And that impacts, of course, our everyday lives. But into eternity, your soul has been saved. And then last week, we talked about how you not only need to experience that salvation, but you need to start to grow up in that salvation. Because as you look at the world around you, some of the difficulties we face, the, the trend, at w- the way things are going you got to sober up, right? It's time to be alert. It's time to get serious about your faith and take some steps that you might not otherwise take. Um, and then today, Peter's going to talk about what it means to be set apart, right? There's, there, there's, in light of eternity, in the midst of the growth that we should be experiencing in Christ, your status has changed. In Christ, your role on this planet has changed. Your calling has changed. I'd I, I compare it uh, loosely to something you might see in your favorite novel or your favorite movie. Like any, any heroic character goes through this process where they're put in a noble situation, a difficult situation, on behalf of the story, on behalf of the other characters. It could be Batman, could be the Avengers, could be Harry Potter, could be Marty McFly if that's your favorite movie, right? So these individuals at some point are set apart for something special, and yet they're tied to the larger story, and they're put in a position to lead, maybe a position to make some sacrifices in some way, and at some point it's hard for them to embrace that struggle. Maybe they just want to be normal, but imagine the outcome. Imagine the larger story. Imagine their story if they didn't at some point embrace their new calling, embrace their new status. And, and so Peter jumps in and says, hey, this is why it matters. This is eternity. This is your growth. This is your calling, your status. You are different than you used to be. And so before we get to some of the practical struggles of next week, he wants to establish one more time what all of this means. And so we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, I'm going to read all of our verses this morning, verses 4 to 10, and then I'm going to kind of hit the main idea, and then we're going to circle back to some of the practical realities that come out of what Peter's talking about. So 1 Peter 2, we're going to start in verse 4. Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, by the way, the stone that was rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We're coming back to those three things at the end. You're living stones, you're being built into a spiritual house, and you're a royal priesthood. And you're offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and it's a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his wonderful light. This is our big verse to start this morning. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Peter's doing a pretty cool thing here where he is, he is taking this idea of the, the people of God, which historically through the Old Testament would be looked at as Israel, right? The Jewish nation, the people of God. And he's taking us and tying us right in with that group. So like I said, throughout the Old Testament, people of God is referring to God's people Israel, right? And in many contexts, that's exactly who it was referring to. But then Jesus ushers in the new covenant, this idea of us being saved through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, right? This new covenant idea. And we start to see the bigger picture of what God intended the entire time when he would refer to his people, God's people. See, throughout Scripture, we see moments where God says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. He says it in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. He says it in the prophets like uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah. But then we see it in the New Testament. You see it all the way at the end in Revelation 21, and we see Peter referring to the people of God here in this letter. So the phrase began with the original covenant to Abraham, Father Abraham, the, the, the father of this Jewish nation. God made him the promise. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, the father of many nations. All people will be blessed through you. I will be your God, he says, and you will be my people. But remember, Peter references the people of God, but he's talking, as we talked about in week one, he's talking to Christians who have been scattered around the known world, scattered looking for a better life, scattered to uh, uh, get away from persecution and push back in their homeland. And so Peter's not just talking to Jewish people. Peter's talking to Christians, And this represents a major shift that we see in the New Testament, which is led by Jesus. And Paul brings it up in Romans. And you're going to hate me in a minute, cause, but we got to go to Paul. Because uh, the, the hard thing about Paul is he's the academic, right? He's the seminary professor. He's, he's the doctorate, right? And, and Peter is the fisherman. He's fun to hang out with, talks like we talk. But we got to hit Paul for a second, and then we'll come back. So, so Paul talks about this in Romans 3 and 4. And when he starts introducing it, he says, hey, what... For those of you reading, what is it that you stand on? What, what, is your, what is your religion based on? Is it based on the Old Testament law? Is it based on your tradition as a people? Is it based on your heritage as a Jewish nation? And Paul says, no, it seems like it has been, but it's not. It's built on faith. It's always been about faith. And when he says it's about faith, the doors swing wide open in this idea of the people of God because now it's not about being Jewish or not. It's about faith. Look at what he says in Romans 3, 29 and 30. He says, Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Gentiles being anyone non-Jewish, as we read throughout Scripture. Since there is only one God, and he will just justify the circumcised by faith, the Jewish people, and the uncircumcised, everybody else, through that same faith. So he says, this idea of the people of God is now completely redefined. This is, we have to look at this a brand new way because it's the same God and the same faith and it applies to everyone equally. So then he brings up Abraham. Like I said, this, this uh, looked at as the father of the Jewish nation, right? The first one that God made this covenant with. But in Romans 4, 3, Paul says, What does Scripture say? It says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to take you to a new place. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make you into a nation. And Abraham believed him. And it says that God took that belief, that belief in what God was saying, and he called it faith. 
And he said, based on your faith, I'm calling you righteous. You now have a right relationship with me. And Abraham said, I can't see it yet. I might never see it completely, but I trust you. And so then Paul takes Abraham and he brings it back to us. And in Romans 4.11 and also in 12, we're going to read 16. It says, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only those who are of the law, which he'd be talking about the Jewish, the Jewish nation, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So he says, Abraham is the father of all who believe, all who follow in his footsteps of faith. He's the father of us all. So again, he's, he's redefining this idea of the people of God and saying it's not just because of the parents you were born to. It's not just because of the culture that you've inherited. It's about faith. And then he brings it back to Jesus, as Peter and Paul and all the other uh, writers of the New Testament are great at. Verses 23 and 24, talking about Abraham and his faith. And it says, The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, those of us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So now being God's chosen people, it's about faith alone in Jesus alone. And so Abraham is not just the father of Israel. He's the father of faith. If you have faith in Jesus, if you have faith in God, you are one of Abraham's children in the faith. And so when some of you grew up singing that song in Sunday school, Father Abraham, right? You did that whole thing and you're spinning around. That's not just Father Abraham if you're Jewish. It's Father Abraham if you're in his family of faith. You are a part of the family. You are a part of the people of God. All right, that's enough, Paul, for now. Let's get back to the fishermen, right? But we had to take that rabbit trail because what Peter is doing is he's setting the stage for what he's going to encourage us with next week and what he's going to challenge us with, with in the weeks to follow. Because if you remember in week one, he's talking to Christians who have been scattered and they're dealing with a lot of tension. There's conflict, right? Cultural differences as they move into different regions, into different towns, uh, uh, food differences, language differences. Maybe they look different. Now they've brought this new faith with them and said, hey, there's one God and one Savior. His name is Jesus. And people are looking at him like, that's not how we operate. It's this and this and this. And what about the emperor and all these different things? And so there's conflict between them and these new communities that they're in. And so Peter is saying, hey, there's a reason why there's conflict. There's a reason why there's this tension. When it comes to your interactions here on this planet, there is a major difference between you and the rest of the world. There's a major difference between us collectively and the rest of the world. It's because you have been chosen. You have been set apart. You have been called to a different purpose. And so there is a tension to address, and he gets into it in the following chapters. There's a tension between you and society. There's a tension between you and the way the world does government. There's a tension between you and the way the world sets up its social structures. There's a tension in the way you do things and the way the world does marriage. The way the world does leadership, there is a tension there because you have been chosen out of that reality and placed into a new reality, a new understanding, a new truth, a new family, the people of God. And so, yeah, it's frustrating. It's annoying. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's heartbreaking. Sometimes the things that you see and experience churn up all kinds of questions that only God can answer. But it's because of this difference that that exists. And so that tension exists and this is why. He says, you have something that they don't have. Your eyes have been opened to something that they can't see. You're in the family. Your mind and your heart have been softened 
to things that they can't understand. You've experienced a touch of the Holy Spirit. You've been called to know and understand and believe. You didn't figure this out on your own. If you're in Christ, it's not because you read the book and go, that logically makes sense. I've figured this out. This is the path that I should take. You didn't just wake up one day and decide that this is what you wanted to do. This is something that the Holy Spirit revealed to you and led you to the truth and softened your heart to believe and to follow. And so now your eternity is secure. And now you have the ability to live here on this planet with eyes on eternity. That is not possible for those on the outside of this truth. And so at the same time, number one, it's cause for celebration because you have experienced something that you couldn't earn, that you didn't deserve, but you've been given it by grace anyways. But in addition to the celebration, it should also conjure up some immense humility within you, knowing that apart from that expression of grace, you yourself would be living on the other side of this tension that we experience with the world. And so you have been set apart. You are part of the family of God. You are adopted into this heritage that goes all the way back to Father Abraham, who didn't just start a family tree. He started a family of faith. As great as that is, there's some practical realities that come along with that because, yeah, you've been set apart, you've been chosen, but along with that, you have an identity change. You have a calling change as a part of the people of God. And that's where we go back to 1 Peter 2, verse 5. I mentioned those three things, and, and these are the three things that now define us. These are the three things that become our calling here on this planet. And so it's kind of three different word pictures in a way. So uh, it's, it's your living stones, you're being built into a spiritual house, and you're a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. Let's pick those apart for a second. Living stones. Let's do verses 6 through 8 one more time. In Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, who trusts in Jesus, will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, it's the stone the builders rejected. It's become the cornerstone, and it's a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, and they stumble because they disobey the message. So he's saying we are followers of Christ. We're disciples of Christ. We're seeking to be molded into the image of Christ, and he is the cornerstone, the foundation upon which everything we do is built. He came first. He laid that foundation. He showed the way in his time here on the planet, and then by his death and resurrection, he made a way to follow his way. And we then become living stones that are being more and more conformed to his image. Our lives are to be built around and built upon the foundation that he lays as the cornerstone. Um, more than 20 years ago now, I had a chance to go to South Africa. It was part of a team uh, between my uh, senior year of high school and first year of college. Um, and we did a lot of stuff there. Just, uh, Went on some pretty cool excursions and got to be a part of some different ministry things. But uh, kind of the main like physical project was building a building for a village in uh, the eastern part of the country that would be used as kind of a schoolhouse, part church, things like that. Um, and and I, I'll explain this the best that I can. I'm not a builder. I'm not, I, my brain doesn't work that way. I'm not an engineer. I'm the guy who pays a lot of money to have other people do that stuff for me. I'm a great gopher. Okay, so keep that in mind. If you ever need help with that stuff, call somebody else. But so we're... <laughs> So we're on this trip and discovered that just the ground wasn't a great place to just start building. So we had to create our own foundation. And so what we ended up doing is we got a little picture there. That's one of those foundation stones, and you can kind of see it starting to build up. Um, we had to dig these huge holes and then fill them with concrete and make concrete, these big concrete square cube things 
that would be the foundation. But we started with one of them, and that became the guide. And then we'd build out the rest from there and put the corner posts on there and, and build up from those foundations. But over the course of time, it became very clear that the, the most time was spent and the most discussions centered around and the most care was given to ensuring two things. Number one, that the first concrete foundation was correct. It was exactly where we wanted it to be, the exact size and shape that we wanted it to be, that it was angled the exact direction we wanted it to angle. That became our cornerstone of the build. That was priority number one. Priority number two was making sure that every other foundation base that went along with it was in full alignment with that original foundation base, that original cornerstone, that it, each one was the correct size in comparison with the original, that it had all the correct angles and locations in relation to the original, that every single detail of every other foundation base and every single detail from that point on was to be centered around the standard that was set by that original foundation, that original concrete square. Now, an important point about cornerstones, cornerstones of building projects, cornerstones for us spiritually. The cornerstone can be a wonderful guide if you use it. It can set you up for success throughout the process. It can guide you. It can direct you. If you feel like you're getting off track, it can be a source of correction to come back to that and see this is the size, this is the shape, this is the angle, this is the direction. It can be something that you point others to, all right? If you're sharing the workload, you're doing different things at different times, you can always point back and say, that's the guide, that's the size, that's the angle, that's the direction. It becomes this amazing thing to lean on, to measure by, and to live by. So it can be this wonderful guide, and yet at the very same time, that same cornerstone can be a stumbling block and a major frustration if you choose to ignore it, if you choose to reject it, if you forget about it. Imagine us continuing with that build as if that cornerstone foundation piece didn't exist. Right? We, we build it. We give it care and attention. Like, this is it. This is our standard. This is what we're going to measure by and live by for the rest of the project. And then continued with the rest of the project as if it didn't exist. Or we're careless about following it. That would be a frustrating project. Imagine some of the anger that would be churned up over the course of that team project. Imagine some of the disappointment or the bitterness or just the idea, like, I wish we had never started, right? Because even if it's not a total disaster, it's not going to be what it could have been and what it should have been. This is where some of the challenge from last week came, this challenge to get serious, right? Because we, we, we have this belief in Jesus, and we say, he is the one, and he's the one we follow, and yeah, I love Jesus, and I'm all in. And then we go and live our lives as if that's not true, as if we haven't chosen to follow that cornerstone. And so you can say, that's, that's an awesome, well-planned, well-executed, well-invested-in foundation stone, and that thing can be at the same time a source of joy for those who embrace it and a stumbling block for those who don't. That's Jesus, that's the word. And we are to be living stones that are built around that cornerstone. A living stone is someone who conforms themselves to the cornerstone and then points others back to the cornerstone. And so are you giving yourself consistent reminders of what he looks like and what you've been called to be? Are you walking according to that picture? Are you a living stone that accurately faithfully, patiently points others back to that original foundation stone. 
You've been given a new identity. You've been given a new calling. You are to be a living stone centered around that cornerstone. Peter has another thing that he says that we are, that we are to be individually and as a body. And he talks about how we're to be built into a spiritual house. We've got to go to Ephesians for that, back to a little bit of Paul. Not quite as, not quite as uh, nerdy as the Roman stuff, but Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 19 to 22, and this whole passage almost feels like a summary of what Peter's talking about. So you'll see some, some familiar things in here. He says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're not on the outset anymore, but you're now fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, right? Family of God, people of God. And you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Clearly, these guys shared some notes. Verse 21 in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he says, you as an individual, if you are a believer, you are a temple for the Holy Spirit. The spirit dwells inside of you. We as a corporate body... Fieldstone Church, the corporate body of Christ around the world. We are being built into a unified temple of the Holy Spirit. A temple is something people can come to. It's an experience they can pursue. It's a conversation they can have. A temple is a place where God dwells. It's a place where he can be seen, where he can be heard, where, he can, where you can see examples lived out of the truth that he's left behind. Throughout the history of God's people, when you didn't know how to pray or what to pray, if you didn't know even what you needed, maybe you know you needed wisdom or truth or direction, you went to the temple. And now that temple is us, not a building, but a people. The temple for them was the center of community and leadership and family and commerce and worship, but it's been so much more than that. It's a place to discover how to live in the world. And so as we're called to be a spiritual house, a temple for the Holy Spirit, a temple is a place, and more than that, it's a people through which the world can encounter the living God. That was true when it was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was portable church, Old Testament style, right? There's this place that they would set up and tear down wherever they went, and when God would come and meet with Moses and eventually Joshua, he would inhabit the tabernacle. That was his portable temple. And then Solomon built the temple, and that was the place where God would dwell with his people. And then Jesus came to earth, and Jesus was that, temp that temple, God with us, Emmanuel. And now all of that is true of us. We are that temple. And as we go through these letters of Peter and we navigate the tensions of life in this world, these truths that we hold to, this foundation stone that we lean on, that's to be seen in us now. That's to be learned from us. And so may we approach our role as temples with the correct heart, the correct mindset. We've been given a new calling. We've been given a new identity. That includes being a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place where God dwells, a place where people can encounter the living God. So we got living stones called to be a temple for the Spirit, also called to be a royal priesthood. We'll go back to Peter for that, verse 9 in, in chapter 2. You are a chosen people. Again, you're set apart. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. A priest is simply this, 
A priest is God's chosen instrument to stand in the gap on behalf of those who have not yet experienced him for themselves. In the Old Testament, that included offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. It included offering prayers on behalf of the people. Some of them would step into God's presence on behalf of the people. And now, as always, it's just what Peter said. The role is to declare God's praises, and we're going to do that in a few minutes to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into wonderful light. The world around you is going to struggle. The cornerstone is a stumbling block. The truth is foolishness to those who don't believe. There should be no surprises when the truth gets ignored. There should be no surprises when the truth gets rejected or even mocked. But will you still worship in the midst of a sinful society? when things are difficult, when there is pushback, when you're finding that tension between you as part of the people of God and the rest of the world who have yet to experience it? Will you be an expression of grace and peace in the midst of a chaotic time? Will you pray for people's eyes to be opened? Not people, but individuals. Ones God's brought into your life, the ones he's placed on your heart, will you pray that God will soften their heart and mind the same way he did for you, that he'll reveal the truth to them the same way he did for you? It starts with that. Will you express love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in the middle of a world that is the exact opposite? A priest stands in the gap on behalf of those who can't themselves. Who needs you to stand in the gap for them? Who needs you to be a place where people can encounter a living God? Who needs you to be a living stone that is an example of what the truth looks like and ultimately points back to the source of that truth, that cornerstone? We've been called. We've been given a new identity. We've been given a new purpose. And we have to live out that purpose. The band is going to come and, and lead us through a time of worship as we close. But there's an interesting additional kind of practical implication that comes with this idea and God saying, I will be their God. And it's one of the reasons that we see this phrase throughout Scripture cover to cover. It's because it's been sealed. It's forever. It's a timeless promise for those who are in the family of faith. You've been set apart for eternity. You've been set apart to live life differently because you have an eternal perspective. You've been set apart to lead others to that same reality. You are a living stone, and that's what you've called to be. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and so that's what you've been called to be. You are a priest of the Most High God, and that is what you've been called to be. And those are three very important things, this idea of being a part of the people of God and that tension we experience because of it. It's something that we'll address as we get into future weeks with Peter. But I also want to say that this truth is not only a reminder for those of us who understand it already, but it's, it's an urgent offer for those who aren't quite there yet. Right? And so if you find yourself thinking, man, I, some of this doesn't make sense. I'm still trying to figure some of this out. I'm exploring. I, I, I understand Jesus. I'm hearing about Jesus. I don't know that I've crossed that line where I've decided I believe. Right? I, I don't know if I have the faith to jump in on that, I'd love to have a conversation, right? It could be me right after service. You could throw it on a connection card afterwards and let us know, or you could email us or, or, or just kind of mosey up to the front after service, and I'll find you, or one of our, our elders or somebody from the leadership team will find you. We'd love to just answer any questions that you have and help you understand what it means to enter into that family of faith and experience not just a change for this life, but for all of eternity.
we're going to play a quick video just to kind of uh, transition our hearts to this time of worship. Just kind of take it in. Um, and then as the band gets going, I'd love for you to stand and join with us in worship as we just sing and express worship to Jesus, the cornerstone, the one who paid it all for us and made a way for us to follow in his footsteps. Let me pray for us and, and we'll do that. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the, the power that it has for our lives, the power that it has to change eternity. And so God, as we spend time worshiping now, may the words of these songs be an overflow of our hearts. May they be an expression of our love for you. And God, maybe for some this morning, may it be a first time to understand, man, I need to get with this cornerstone. I need to set my life on something firm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 